Welcome to the Christian Outlook, the weekly radio program that sorts through the issues in our fast-changing world in a way that honors your Christian faith. Sponsored by the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. I'm Georgine Rice. This week, Charles Stanley, the voice of In Touch Ministries, has gone home to be with the Lord. Dr. Charles Stanley has been so faithful in the proclamation of God's Word. We'll remember his life. People without such great faith as Dr. Stanley probably would have thrown in the towel and said, you know, this just isn't worth it. And we'll offer perspective on Stanley's life and legacy from Stanley himself. Tell me anything any more impacting than leaving a legacy that helps to promote the gospel. Including how he'd like to be remembered. I want them to say he believed that the most important truth in his life was obey God and leave all the consequences to him. We've got all this and more. I'm Georgine Rice. I'm glad to be with you once again. I'm coming to you from Portland in my home station of KPDQ. You can hear my own program live each weekday afternoon on 93.9 FM here in Portland and online via our website at kpdq.com and also through the TuneIn radio app. Thanks for joining us. It was 1957 when Charles Stanley began pastoring a church. And so began a ministry and a contribution to the kingdom that would span 65 years. Now, locally, he was a senior pastor of First Baptist Church Atlanta. Nationally and internationally, he was the face and the voice of In Touch Ministries. Stanley died last week on Tuesday, April 18th, at the age of 90. Charles Stanley's nationwide radio program, In Touch, was aired on almost every Salem Media Group's Christian teaching talk radio stations across the country, reaching half of the nation's total population. Chris Gould, a senior vice president with Salem Media, had the opportunity to get to know Stanley. Chris was a guest of Scott Furrow, host of The Pastor Scott Show in Southern California. I think it's impossible to say how many people... Uh, he was able to uh, point to Jesus through his radio ministry. I think it's countless millions of people, Scott. Yeah. There's, there's really no, no question about it. I mean, Isaiah fifty five eleven says that my word will go forth from my mouth, and it will accomplish the purpose with which I send it. It will not return void. And Dr. Charles Stanley, over these last 50 years, has been so faithful in the proclamation of God's Word through broadcast, primarily radio and television, and has reached and and preached to millions of people. You hear that voice, you hear the truth, and you are closer to God because of it and because of his faithfulness. So he's, we're going to dearly miss Dr. Charles Stanley. In your role, you got to know uh, Dr. Stanley personally, yes? I did. I did. I had lunch with Dr. Stanley on several occasions, many visits over the years. And he was one of the kindest, most generous, loving men that I've ever met. Uh, what, what you heard on the radio and what you saw on television was the true Dr. Charles Stanley. He put on no pretenses Hmm. when he was off the mic or off the camera. He was the same. And that's the consistency of a man of God. And, And one of his life principles has stuck with me the entire time, because one of the times I had a chance to meet him way back in the uh, it was 2003 when I first met him in person. He came to speak at our pastor's event in Tampa, and he said, 
He said, obey God, Chris, and leave all the consequences to him. Mm-hmm. Yes, I've heard that. It's such and, a great and, word. Well, you, you, you may have heard it, but if you heard it spoken, you know, by Charles Stanley to you, it just it, it just sits right in my heart. And mm-hmm. I, I think about it almost every day. Yeah. I mean, he, and he blessed so many of us that way with a personal word to each one of us. Anyone who's met Dr. Stanley can testify to the kindness of his eyes, the, the, the softness of his voice and the conviction in his heart, and he he just connected with people. He had something very, very special. You know, I think it's good for people to hear that he's the same guy that they see on their, they hear on the radio, or maybe they watch his television program. And, and that's not always the case, but it certainly is with him. And I think that's really great for, for people to hear. And, you know, I was listening to a sermon of his today uh, on on heaven and how we have our our true hope is in heaven and how easy it is to put our hope i'm almost tempted to talk like him now right how <laughs> how, how easy it is to hope in things of of this world but the only hope we really have is in christ and those things can't be taken away he's experiencing that right now yeah it's so so um such a joy really to think that he's with his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, someone that he dedicated his entire life to from the age of 14. When I visited with Dr. Stanley in Atlanta at the In Touch facility some 20 years ago, he took me up to his office, beautiful facility, beautiful office. And he said, Chris, you know what the most important part about my office is? And I looked around, and I wasn't exactly sure, was it this little section over here with a bunch of books, a study table, a desk? He pointed to the closet. When you walked over next to his desk, he had an open door with a little closet, a thin little mattress, and a blanket that his mother had made for him, and a little pillow and a Bible. And he said the most important part of my office is that prayer closet Mm. where I spend most of my day. Wow. He was a man of prayer. I imagine there are many, if not most of you, who have some familiarity with Charles Stanley, but you may not know the whole story, how it all got started. Here's Bob Burney, my colleague on WTBN, The Word in Columbus, Ohio. Dr. Charles Stanley pastor of First Baptist Church Atlanta for more than 50 years, founder of In Touch Ministries, and, of course, a New York Times best-selling author, passed away at the age of 90. A uh, giant of the faith. A giant of the faith. Uh, He was born September 25th, 1932, in a small town of Dry Fork, Virginia. Accepted Christ at a very young age, was raised in a Christian home. His father died when he was very young, but his mother influenced him greatly to get into the Word of God, and God called him to the ministry. He began pastoring in 1957 at Fruitland Baptist Church in North Carolina. He was a very young man at that time, but he also began teaching homiletics, preaching, and evangelism at Fruitland Bible Institute. 
So he pastored at Fruitland Baptist Church in North Carolina, 1957. 1959, First Baptist Church of Fairborn, Ohio. In 1962, he became pastor of First Baptist Church, Miami, uh, where he founded the George Mueller Christian School in 1966. In 1968, he assumed the pastorate of First Baptist Church of Bartow, Florida. And then on October 1st, 1971, Charles Stanley became senior pastor of the First Baptist Church of Atlanta, Georgia. That is when Charles Stanley began impacting my life and the life of my wife, Joy. In our early ministry, we were in Wichita, Kansas in youth work, and we began attending the Shepherds Conference at First Baptist Church, Dallas, under the direction of Senior Pastor W.A. Criswell, one of my all-time heroes. And I would imagine it was probably in, I believe, 1973. He assumed the pastorate at First Baptist Church Atlanta in 71. Well, in 73, I believe, Joy and I went to First Baptist Church Dallas, and Dr. Stanley was one of the keynote speakers, and I will never, ever forget One evening session, he told us the story of the first two years of his pastorate at First Baptist Atlanta, historic church. At that time, it was a downtown church in one of America's major cities. He was a young man accepting the pastorate of a very, very historic and extremely steeped in tradition church. Well, it was rocky. In fact, it was worse than rocky. The church had begun to drift away from scriptural authority. Oh, yeah, that's been happening for a long time. Dr. Stanley was an absolute advocate for the authority of Scripture, the final absolute authority of Scripture. And he began to teach that and preach that from the pulpit, and it made a whole lot of people upset. He began taking a stand, a loving, compassionate stand, but a stand on sin. Well, that upset a whole lot of people. And he told us the story of the first two years, and it was a battle. I remember he shared one story of some of the older members who uh, had been steeped in tradition rather than the Word of God, marched around the outside of the sanctuary. He's inside trying to preach, and he's got this crowd of people marching outside the sanctuary singing. Now, these are members of his own church singing, We Shall Overcome! And uh, it was a battle. And uh, people without such great faith as Dr. Stanley probably would have thrown in the towel and said, you know, this just isn't worth it. His life was threatened. His family was threatened. Terrible things were written about him in Atlanta newspapers. And yet, He knew that that's where God wanted him to minister. And he believed that he was to follow God 
and not man. And for over 50 years, he led First Baptist Church of Atlanta, Georgia, one of the greatest churches in America. The radio, the television, and millions and millions of people have been impacted. I, for one, am very grateful he did not give up and give in, but he stayed and fought, and God gave him victory till the end. Coming up, how would Charles Stanley like to be remembered? We'll let him answer that question. I'd want them to say he believed that the most important truth in his life was obey God and leave all the consequences to him. Stay with us. The Christian Outlook will be right back. As the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy celebrates our 25th anniversary year, please watch our new promotional video based on Ronald Reagan's 1976 radio address, Shaping the World for 100 Years to Come, on our Pepperdine SPP YouTube channel. And if you know someone who's thinking about graduate school this fall, we welcome applications at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. That's publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. Welcome back to The Christian Outlook. I'm Georgine Rice. The death of someone you love, someone you respect, or someone who had a profound impact on your life is difficult and sobering. But death is also a gift. It's a reminder of our mortality and a reminder that our days are numbered. Death gets us to thinking about what we're living for. Here are some good words from Charles Stanley. When your life here on earth is over physically, how do you want to be remembered? What do you want people to say about you? What would you leave behind that cannot lose its value? Will there be anyone on earth left whose eternal destiny you had a part in changing, bringing them to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? You see, our life's going to keep living even after we're gone. And the title of this message is Our Life After Death. And when I think about so many verses in the Bible about death, think about what Paul said in the very beginning about this whole issue of death. He says the wages of sin is death. That's what all started. Then you'll recall that he said, for those of us who are children of God, that death is like going asleep in Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean we'll sleep in the grave some thousands of years, but rather that we go to sleep at night, we wake up the next morning conscious of a whole new day. That's the way it'll be when we pass away. Then you'll recall he said when Jesus was talking to Martha and she was concerned about the fact that Jesus didn't show up on time to save her brother from death, Jesus said to her, even though we die, we shall also live. Then you'll recall in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, those 58 verses, 46 of them, Paul spent in talking about our life after death. He talked about the promise of our resurrection. So that all through Scripture, for those of us who are believers, death is certainly not the end of anything. Just our physical existence here on this earth, but not the end of our life. You're going to live somewhere after you die. And the truth is, one of those places you're going to live, that is through somebody, because of the life that you're living now, you're going to live through somebody even after you die. And the issue is, 
What kind of life are you going to leave? What will be the message of your life? What kind of legacy are you going to leave? Because you see, the truth is, life is a gift of God. Think about it for a moment. The very reason that you're alive is because God gave you the privilege of the gift of life. And he gave you a body, a soul, and a spirit. He has equipped you with the skills and abilities and talents that you need to accomplish his purpose and plan for your life. He has a will for your life, and that will is very clear. The problem is that oftentimes many people do not even begin to ask the question, what is God's personal will for my life? It's very clear in the scripture what his will is for all of us universally. What is his purpose and plan for your life? Why did he place you here? And you'll recall that Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2, 8, 9, and 10, he says, for by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Then he says, for we are his creation in Christ Jesus for the purpose of good works which he foreordained that you and I should walk in them. Now, oftentimes what we're concerned about most of all is how long we live. We think, for example, to have good works and to have a lasting legacy, we have to live a long time. But if you notice in the Scripture, it isn't how long we live that God is interested in primarily, but it's how we live our life, not how long we live it. And so what I want to talk about in this message is simply this, our life after death. Because usually what we think about is what's going to happen when I get to heaven or if I miss heaven, what am I looking forward to out there or what's going to be my plight, eternal separation from God. I want us to think about your life after you've left this life that still remains in this life because all of us are still going to be here to some degree. For example, what is a believer but a person who has received Jesus Christ as personal Savior and one through whom Jesus Christ is still living his life? He's living on the inside of us. Our life is an expression of who he is. And so when it comes to the length of life, it's not how long you live. It's how you live your life. You're building that legacy. You're living it out. And so often we think about, well, when I die this and when I die that, the truth is, what about right now? It's the life that you and I are living right now that really matters. And when I think about how long we live and think about just a few people that I know who lived a very short life, and in spite of that, what they left behind has been so powerful, so penetrating, so life-changing, so awesome when it comes to the way it has affected their life. You say, well, but I'm not one of those persons and God couldn't use me that way. Oh, yes, he can. What you, we oftentimes do, we want to minimize who we are. Sometimes I think it's because we don't want the responsibility that we have of living a godly life. We don't want the responsibility of giving account for life and simply saying, well, you know, I don't have very many talents and I don't have much skill and that much ability and I don't have a lot of money and what could I leave? You know what? God has a purpose and a plan for your life and he intends to live it out through you and he intends for you to live a legacy that will affect people long after you and I are gone. Think about this. Let's say you lived to be 80 years of age, which was a good age, maybe 95 or 100, who knows. Then you turn around and you look at your life. God's blessed you here and answered prayer and so forth, and then you're going to die. And this is why I say to you over and over again, write it down. What I wouldn't give if I had a day-by-day day or even week-by-week week running account of my grandfather's relationship to Jesus Christ and how God worked in his life, there is no amount of money 
that you could put over here that would cause me to choose that versus that one book. Think about this. God's answered your prayer, met your needs, worked in your life. You never wrote it down. You never penned it. Somehow it wasn't important enough to you to recall it, to take the time to write it down or whatever it might be. Think about this. Do you realize what you have cheated your children and your grandchildren out of? Think about what you would leave your children, your grandchildren. And all you've done is put a date on it and said, here's what God did for me today. He's answered my prayer. I'm going through a very difficult time. I feel, I feel down today. And they find out how you felt, how they feel. They say, well, gosh, that's the way I feel. God answered his prayer, her prayer. Maybe he'll do that. You see, you can't afford to just soak up the blessing after blessing after blessing from God and, and, and just ignore it, forget it. You're leaving a legacy. You're leaving a legacy. Not whether you want to or not, you're leaving it. And the question is, what will it be? Tell me anything any more impacting than leaving a legacy that not only is a good testimony to your children and grandchildren, but leaving a legacy that helps to promote the gospel generation after generation after generation after generation because you made yourself available unto good works for the kingdom of God. Dr. Stanley answered the question of how would you like to be remembered directly? Once again, Charles Stanley. Uh, do you let me get all of this? <laughs> I haven't thought about that necessarily. But um, I'd, want, I'd want them to say he believed that the most important truth in his life was obey God and leave all the consequences to him. And it appears from what we see and heard, that's the way he lived. I'd like for it to be that way. Coming up, Charles Stanley on how to live for Christ. What is his will in this situation? What would he have me to do? Not what do I want to do and then want to make him fit my plan. When the Christian Outlook returns in a moment. Hi, it's Mike Gallagher. I start every day by reading through the stories at Daybreak Insider. It's a look at today's most compelling stories and provides responses from key conservatives in media and politics. Over a quarter million people get Daybreak Insider by email daily, and it's available to you at no cost. Go to daybreakinsider.com and simply plug in your email. That's daybreakinsider.com. In five minutes, you will be the most informed person in the office. That's daybreakinsider.com. Welcome back to the Christian Outlook, brought to you in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. I'm Georgine Rice. It is a joy to reflect on the life, legacy, and recent death of the late Charles Stanley. As we reflect on this remarkable life of ministry, it becomes pretty clear that most of us aren't like Charles Stanley, reaching millions across the country and around the world. What advice does he have for me? Or for you. A few years ago, Stanley released a book, How to Reach Your Full Potential for God, Never Settle for Less Than His Best. Well, Stanley talked to my colleague in San Francisco, Craig Roberts, on AM 1100 KFAX. 
Well, when you think about the big questions about life, one of the big questions, perhaps, that most of us struggle at one point or another to try to gain an answer to, and that is understanding specifically what God wants of us, through us, and in our lives. Essentially, trying to understand what is His will for my life. So, so much of this really reaching our full potential in the Lord, whatever that might be, and certainly it's different for all of us. God gives and grants to each and every one of us different skills, talents, abilities, and goals. But in order to fully reach that, we really have to be walking in uh, the fullness of his fellowship then, don't we? This needs to be an intimate kind of relationship with the Lord. That can't be something that's just sort of approached uh, casually. Absolutely. Our personal and intimate relationship with him impacts everything. When that's right, I'm, I'm going to have a clear mind about his will for my life. I'm going to understand his schedule for my life. I'm going to have right relationships. I'm going to be willing to take risks for him. And things will fall in place. And it doesn't mean that everything is going to be easy, but it means that no matter what I face, I'm going to come through it. I'm going to come through it successfully because in order to do that, you've got to submit yourself to the will of God. And submitting yourself to the will of God isn't always easy because I think a lot of people are afraid to do that. They think, well, I want to do the will of God, but suppose he asked me to do this. or Suppose he asked me to do that. Because he's a God of love, he's only going to require us what is best for us. And my unwillingness to do what he says is because I don't trust him to love me enough to just choose the best. I would imagine in your many, many years in pulpit ministry and as pastor, this question has been brought before you time and time again, this question. Well, pastor, I just don't understand what is God's will for my life. And I would suspect then that part of this answer for a lot of people that struggle with that is the notion that they're fearful. Well, gee, you know, if I really pursue God, what if God asked me to become a missionary on the foreign mission field or or do something that I don't really feel cut out to do? Does God do things like that? I mean, is he, is he of the character that he's going to surprise us? And, and call us to do something that we're neither inclined to do or even equipped to do? There are some things he's going to do that's going to surprise us, all right, but they're coming from the perspective that, that God's motivation is judgment and punishment and testing me and trying me when God's motivation is love. Now, if he wants to send somebody to the mission field, that isn't God doing something bad for them. That's God giving them an opportunity, but it always goes back to what is my attitude toward God? In other words, do I see him as a heavenly father who loves me, who has saved me, who wants to show me his will? provide my needs, test me, try me, yes, but all of that to grow me up and become the person he wants me to be. And those periods of testing and trial are for our good. And it's interesting. I've always thought the passage of Scripture where we're reminded that God will give us the desires of our heart, but in another passage that we are encouraged to keep our mind and our heart focused on him. And so if we put him first in life and he is the central, he is uh, our our heart's desire, so to speak, uh, that as he comes to fulfill those desires in the end, this will be something that will not only give glory to his name, but also much delight to us. And I guess in the end, when we talk about determining what he wants for us and discovering and reaching our full potential for him, uh, in the end becomes not only a delight for the Lord, but a delight unto us as well. And when he says, if we delight ourselves in him, I think most folks don't realize that he must be central in our life. That if I'm delighting myself in him, then my decisions are going to be based always on this. What's pleasing to God? What is his will in this situation? What would he have me to do? Not what do I want to do and then want to make him fit my plan. Well, what do you say then, Pastor, to the person who says, but Pastor Stanley, you don't understand. I'm so average. I'm plain. There's nothing really special about me. I, I don't have the ability of, of, of great oratory skills to get on the radio or up in a pulpit and proclaim the word of 
God. I, I don't have a degree in anything. I'm, I'm just kind of an average Joe. Um, how could God ever possibly use me? I think many people have asked that question. Probably everybody who's ever accomplished anything has asked that at some point. But the issue is not uh, comparing ourselves with others. We think about what we have and don't have. And we're comparing ourselves with others. The question is, what has God given me? And what is God able to do with what he has given me? And the truth is, we would say, well, God is does the impossible. But many people have problems with this because they have a poor self-image. Uh, they have uh, a poor uh, image of what they're capable of doing. They have lots of fears. They're, they're afraid to fail. They're afraid of what people are going to say, a criticism. And so a lot of that negative thinking is the result of their attitudes that have no real scriptural basis whatsoever. God wants the best, will provide the best. All he's looking for is submission to his will and let him decide what he wants to do with us. Coming up, the centerpiece of the ministry of Charles Stanley. In order for God to accomplish his purpose, Jesus had to bear our sins. The gospel, when the Christian outlook returns in a moment. Stay with us. As the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy celebrates our 25th anniversary year, please watch our new promotional video based on Ronald Reagan's 1976 radio address, Shaping the World for 100 Years to Come, on our Pepperdine SPP YouTube channel. And if you know someone who's thinking about graduate school this fall, we welcome applications at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. That's publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. Welcome back to The Christian Outlook. I'm Georgine Rice. Thanks for joining us today as we look at the life and legacy of Charles Stanley. The ministry of Pastor Stanley was marked by what you might call practicality. He was teaching biblical truth to his audience in a manner that was most practical. 30 Life Principles comes to mind, Stanley's book distilling scriptural teaching. If there was one problem Dr. Stanley was appropriately fixated on, it was mankind's estrangement from God. In other words, our sin problem. We have a debt that we cannot pay. And speaking for those who have put their faith in Christ, we serve a God who paid the debt for us. Here's Charles Stanley. A debt is an obligation. And probably most people have been in debt at some point in the life of the elder. Nobody likes debt because it's a pressure that seemingly increases over a period of time. And usually, people will try to pay off their debts, but some people have no intention of paying off their debts. And so somebody else has to suffer as a result of their being unable or unwilling to pay their debt. Well, it's one thing to owe something to someone financially and to be able to pay it back, but there is a debt that you and I cannot pay back. There is a debt that all of us have incurred in our life, and some people try to pay it off, but they really can't. And so I'm not talking about a material debt, but I'm talking about a spiritual debt. Because you see, the truth is that all of us who've sinned against God have a debt of sin. And people will try to pay that debt off one way or the other, but the truth is you cannot because you see, the only way you could pay off a sin debt is by righteous living. And no one can live a righteous life apart from Jesus Christ. And when Jesus Christ comes into a person's life, You don't have to pay it off. God has already taken care of it. And so the issue is, how do we deal with this sin debt that we have? And that's what this message is all about. And the title of it is, The Cross 
a debt paid in full. And I want you to turn, if you will, to the book of Colossians. I'd like for us to read just a couple of verses in this uh, second chapter of Colossians. Paul is talking about what God has done for us. And this is a wonderful book because it magnifies the Lord Jesus Christ from beginning to end. And in this second chapter, here's what he says beginning in verse 13. And when you are dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, and which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Now, when he says he nailed it to the cross, what he was simply referring to is this. That is exactly what God has done in your life and my life for all of us who have received Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. What has he done? He has absolutely wiped out our debt, separated us from it, freed us from it, destroyed it. We're absolutely free. And what did he do? He nailed it to the cross in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, the question comes, what was God's ultimate motive for sending the Lord Jesus Christ in the first place? Well, he had two motives in mind. And if I should ask you, what do you think the first motive, or not necessarily in this order, but what's one of those motives that Jesus had? That is, what motivated Jesus to come and the Father to send him into the world to die on the cross? What would be the first thing that would come to your mind? What was the motive? Love, all right? One of his motives certainly was love because the Scripture says in John three sixteen, for God so loved the world. Listen, he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So we understand that motive is very clear. But there's a second motive, listen, equally as important. God is not simply a God of love, though he is a God of unconditional love. But he is also a God of justice as well as a God of love. You can't have the one true God without having a God of justice and of love. God was required by his very nature to find a way to justify, declare not guilty, wipe out your sin debt and my sin debt, declare us no longer guilty, make us clean and righteous in his eyes, and at the same time, be the righteous God that he is. So how would he do it? Listen carefully. The only way, the only possible way, and nobody can answer this question any other way. How could God, who is absolutely perfect and holy and righteous, justify, declare not guilty, wipe away sin of one who is sinful, wicked, and vile, when the law of God says the soul that sinneth it shall death? How can he do that and still remain a righteous God? The Apostle Paul says there is only one way, and that is through the crucifixion, the atoning death. That means the payment death of Jesus Christ. He paid for your sin and my sin at the cross at Calvary in one eventful act. Your sin debt, my sin debt was wiped away for all of us who are willing to accept that as payment and receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. Now, I want you to turn, if you will, to 1 Peter for a moment and look at this passage in 1 Peter. Notice what he says in light of that first picture that Paul gave us of the certificate of debt. In 1 Peter chapter 2, and if you look in verse uh, 24 for a moment, speaking of Jesus, he said, and he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might die to sin that is no longer living it under its power and live to righteousness. For by his wounds we're healed. 
God the Father placed them all on him. Now go back, if you will, to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 for a moment, and I want you to notice uh, what he says here. Chapter 5. In order for God to accomplish his purpose, Jesus had to bear our sins. And so here's what he says in uh, verse chapter 5, verse 21. That is God the Father now made him, that is Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. When he says he made him to be sin, that doesn't mean he made him a sinner. It doesn't mean that Jesus became a sinner. It doesn't mean that Jesus committed any sin. It means that when God viewed him, he viewed him as bearing all of our sin, not becoming a sinner, He made him who knew no sin to be sin. Therefore, you and I have become righteous in the eyes of God because Jesus Christ, who was righteous and who is righteous, died on the cross for your sins and mine. When we trusted him as our personal Savior, not only did he justify us and declare us no longer guilty, he made us righteous. He clothed us. He cloaked us in his righteousness. Therefore, it is right, natural, and normal for a child of God to live a holy life an obedient life, a righteous life, because he has provided that for us in the person of Jesus Christ who lives on the inside of the believer in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Coming up, herein lies man's only hope in the person of Jesus Christ. A few more words with Charles Stanley on the gospel when the Christian Outlook returns in a moment. Tuning into the baseball game, monitoring the incoming storm, catching your favorite talk show. These are just a few of the reasons more than 80 million Americans depend on AM radio each month. And did you know AM radio is the backbone of the emergency alert system, keeping us safe in dangerous times? It's reliable, free, and public safety depends on it. Text AM to 52886 and tell Congress we need AM radio in cars. This message furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters. Welcome back to the Christian Outlook. I'm Georgine Rice. The glories of the gospel message are too rich for us to explore fully today. If I could quote a hymn that puts it poetically, And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain, for me who him to death pursued. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Let's pick up with Charles Stanley as he reflects on this great exchange. I plead with you to ask the Lord Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins. You say, well, how do I apply all this to my life? Here's what you do. You acknowledge your sinfulness. And you acknowledge the fact you don't have any other way. The cross of Christ is the only way. And therefore, you say to the Father, Father, I know that I've sinned against you. And the worst thing I've done as I listen to this message is realize I've ignored the Son of God. I've rejected the Son of God. I do believe what the Bible says, that you sinned to the cross and he paid my sin debt in full. I'm asking you with all the sincerity of my heart to forgive me of my sins. I do here and now accept, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. I do believe he's your eternal son, and I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin based not on anything within me that's found good, 
but based on the fact that he died for me. And you said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved, forgiven, redeemed, reconciled back to God, made one with him. And so, Lord Jesus, Heavenly Father, Jesus, you died for me. Heavenly Father, I'm thanking you, praising you for the forgiveness of my sin. Now, you don't have to say all those words. You don't have to say it the way I said it. But there are certain things that are important. You acknowledge your sinfulness, and then when he went to the cross, he paid your sin debt in full. Listen carefully. Paid your sin debt in full. Ask him to forgive you. Accept his forgiveness. Surrender your life to him as your Savior. Now, listen carefully. Is there any other way for God to be a just God and pay our sin debt in full except to the cross? The answer is no. That's why the cross stands at the center of the Word of God, at the center of the universe, the center of all time, past, present, and future. Herein lies man's only hope in the person of Jesus Christ. The hymn I quoted from a few moments ago closes with these words, Bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. It is because of Christ's work on his behalf that Charles Stanley has indeed boldly approached the throne of God. I am confident he was greeted with the words every believer longs to hear, well done. If you'd like to learn more about the life and ministry of Dr. Charles Stanley, go to charlesstanley.com. Thank you for joining us for the Christian Outlook. Our program has been brought to you in part through our partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. For executive producer Russell Shubin and producers David Pushan and James Blend, I'm Georgine Rice. Join us again next time for the Christian Outlook.